Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. And now, it's time for Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello. Oh, my goodness. Welcome to Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. Getting importanter by the moment. Right. We'll talk about heft. <laughs> We're your hosts. I'm Jesse Gaskell. I'm Mike Sweeney. And we both have written for The Conan Show. Right. And that gives us the chutzpah to think we can host a behind-the-scenes podcast about all things Conan. Yeah. We have the opposite of imposter syndrome. <laughs> Unearned confidence. Yeah, someone just needs to tap us on the shoulder and tell us to walk away. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. Yes. How are you? It's it's fall, kind of. It's fall in L.A. I mean, leaves are falling from the trees, but it might be because the trees are dying. Yes, it could be that. But three or four leaves have hit the ground here in yes. L.A. total. So, uh, you know, it's a change of the seasons. I've been enjoying, I mean, it's still in the 80s in the day, but at night it cools off and I've been taking baths. Baths? And I just want to get the word out. I took a bath, I think in 2013, and it was great. <laughs> you got to get back in there. I mean, you can get some, you can make it like a manly bath, get some Epsom salts and... Why would you assume it was anything, <laughs> anything but an incredibly manly bath if it... If you add me to water, boom, manly. <laughs> Did you have a nice Thanksgiving? <laughs> yeah, I had a, I had a nice Thanksgiving. I was not feeling well. Oh, because of the booster. Oh, you got the a booster. I got the booster the night before. I I stupidly tetanus. Yes, I got all of them. Sure. I scheduled it for the night before Thanksgiving. Oh, I think maybe I was secretly hoping it would yeah. take me out of commission. <laughs> I see what you're trying to do. Uh -huh. I'd love to be with all you all. I love you so much, but oh, but just I've just, got a booster reaction. Got the booster. Oh, I'm sorry you didn't feel well. That's terrible. Well, that's okay. It was. It all ended up being fine. I went. We we went to my boyfriend's parents' house, and I uh, was just kind of in the corner, wrapped in blankets. And they're like, "What's what's with her? <laughs> you got a real live one there, boy." I assume they call him boy. That's what I call my children. <laughs> so you sat in the corner. I sat in the corner. But that's honestly where I, I prefer to be most meals anyway. Yeah. Hopefully they were inclusive. Yes. But on a trip like that, you you I mean, that's kind of what you want to hear is stories about your significant other's childhood, which they probably love to share with you. 
it, you know, this was more, well, I don't want to bring everything down. Yeah. Oh. Because they, oh, no. their, their patriarch just died. So that was, oh, okay. they were sharing stories about oh. him. But actually, this was kind of crazy. So he, yeah. they had heard him talk about how he left a safe buried on the property somewhere. <laughs> what? And they didn't know where it was. And they had to, they but they found it. They found it like under some concrete that had been disturbed that they could tell he had cut into himself. Did they go to the beach and get one of those metal detector guys to <laughs> walk around the yard? <laughs> Wait, so how... And so they opened it, yeah, and, and it was full of... <gasps> Cash. It was. It had hundred dollar bills in like stacks, and uh, gold bars and silver bars. Gold bars and silver bars. Yes. That's like a real. That never happens. It was a treasure. It was a buried treasure. It's always an empty safe, and everyone feels like a fool that they got so greedy. And wow. I know. Oh my god. Well, now he would just have NFTs in there. But right. I love that he. <laughs> He had buried it and he didn't tell anyone. Yeah. So it just could have gone completely unfound and the next property owner would have right. gotten it. Or eventually. So when you say he yeah. didn't tell anyone, how, how, someone knew about this safe, right? Well, they knew that there was a, he had talked about a safe, but they didn't know where it was. So they had to kind of put their heads together and think of like, what, where would he put it? Oh, is it a big property? It's a big property. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's out in the, Central Valley. That's crazy that they found it. I know. It was, I was riveted. I was like, oh, this is, you guys really found treasure. I would have been hounding him on, I'd be grabbing him by the collar going, old, old man, tell us where the safe is. <laughs> they had the combination? They guessed the combination, yeah. They guessed it? Yeah. This is, I'm getting suspicious <laughs> of this whole story, this treasure hunt story. Did you see the gold bars with your own eyes? I didn't see any gold oh, bars. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. How was your Thanksgiving? Well, there was no buried <laughs> treasure. I'll tell you that. Unless you count Get Back, the eight-hour Beatles special. Oh, yeah. I enjoyed every second of it. I could see people thinking it might be too long, but not this not this guy. Chock full of gold bars. Right. It was. And my sons loved it, too. They're big Beatles fans. My wife went along for the ride because it was three against one. <laughs> well, she owed me because I, I went to see Barbara Streisand with her at the Hollywood Bowl. Oh, that's fun, too. That was fun, I, mean, I, I think have both to of say. Those are fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But after that, she owed me 48 hours of Beatles footage, I think is a fair exchange. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Barbara Streisand was fun, too. Well, hey, I, uh, I, I have something to share, yeah. which is that friend of the show, Flula Borg. Yes. I mean, he's our friend. He is. And he's the friend of the Conan show as well. Yes. He is in a new spread for Hustler Magazine. What? Uh-huh. Wouldn't he have to revive? Is Hustler Magazine even? It's still a magazine. Okay. He recreated a bunch of classic Hustler covers uh-huh that i think normally were women but he he is in them okay um and i don't know if he goes full frontal but i know you see quite a bit this is his new yearly calendar i'm assuming it, it might be his yeah he always does a, an annual calendar with yes with himself in iconic poses i always love getting that and there's always a nice note from him yeah. In broken English. I'm really I I couldn't see I could only see one of the photos because I 
there's a paywall on the Hustler site, and I there's was not willing to go that far. Okay. <laughs> They're pretty cocky. But it's coming out in the print issue as well, so... Oh. It'll be on newsstand. Oh, it's literally going to be... Yeah. On Wow. Okay. I know. I thought it was all a parody he was doing. That's... No. It's... I mean, it is a kind of a parody, all but right. also, I think it works on both levels. Sure. It might confuse you... the regular Hustler purchaser, but that's their <laughs> problem. You know, it's good to question your sexuality every, you know, like set it out for a test spin every few months. Yeah. And I think looking at naked flula is a good... Mm-hmm. It's a good test. That'll put any hetero man to the, <laughs> to the, to the test. Well, but he's still very funny. Oh, man, is he funny. Despite being in good shape. Don't get me started on how fu- quick and funny he is. But he also works out a lot and I think doesn't eat carbs. Uh, okay. Well, I, I can't wait to see that, I think. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, today on the show, we have a real treat. We do. We're speaking with our good friend, Andy Richter. He's a good friend. And he is Andy Richter. You probably know who he is if you're listening to this. But in case you don't, he's a comedian, actor, writer, announcer, podcaster, and Conan sidekick on Late Night, The Tonight Show, and Conan. That's right. And today he's going to, this is really great. He's going to give us a special look into the early days of Late Night. So we're going way back to 1993, and we're going to find out all about his promotion from writer to sidekick. Yeah, I really, I, I didn't know most of this. Me neither. And it's, it's a fascinating story. He remembers every detail. He sure does. Here's Andy. Hi, Andy. Hi. Hello, guys. Hi, How are Andy. you? Hey, welcome back to the pod. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. It's good to see you. Thank you. It's good yes, to see it's you guys, been too. Quite a while. It's very strange. It's very strange to go 10 years with seeing the same old yeah, yeah. dumb faces. <laughs> the same every day. old yes. dumb faces. Coming back from like two week vacations and being like, well, what's there to really say? Let's just get to work. Right. Um, yeah. Right. But now it is like, you know, I've changed a lot. <laughs> I can tell you wearing hats indoors. Well, that's just because my hair is disgusting and greasy mm. and uh, I'm trying to. That's you know. a classic life hack. Oh, my God. It is. It is. It's like whenever you see, like you saw Will, our, our, the, the producer wearing yeah. a hat, mm-hmm. guarantee mm-hmm. his hair looks like shit. Bad right. hair. Guarantee. Yeah, we. I haven't seen you since the last show Let's taping. Talk about our summers. <laughs> but it is. It is nice to see you. I read your tweets and I heart your tweets a lot. So I feel like I. I know what you're up to. Same thing with me and uh, uh, with you. For me, you post less than I do because you're less needy. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, like I saw, you know, like your boyfriend went grocery shopping and bought things <laughs> that a child would buy. Like, Shit, I, I missed yeah. that. What was it? It was like Cheetos Flaming mac and hot cheese. Mac and cheese. Flaming hot mac and cheese is just, oh, you need to I know. dump you. You're dating. <laughs> you could be in trouble for dating a child. <laughs> I should check his driver's license if he even has one. Yeah. Um, but Andy, we wanted to have you back on the show. The first time, we had you on a long time ago. Yes. And I don't even remember what we talked about. I just remember it as because... I was in the throes of separation and divorce. Oh, yeah. And I had, because, you know, my, when I used to work, when I used to work, listen to that. <laughs> uh, Jesus Christ. Oh, boy. I need Podcast a job. Don't count. Um, <laughs> when, you know, I used to, like, take my, my daughter, my son to school, and then I'd 
go to the office. And frequently, because I've been doing therapy uh, on the phone, and that morning of that podcast, I had just had a phone session where uh, just like a wildly hysterical, sobbing <laughs> therapy session. And then like went to do my podcast. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, and was just like, I felt like I was shot out of a can and just of like, I don't give a fuck. I'll say whatever. Scorch turn. So, and, but I, I remember it being fun and, you know, like pretty, a pretty good. It one, was yeah. fun. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. It was like yeah. Andy Unleashed. Yes. <laughs> yes. It takes, it takes trauma for me to be funny. I'm, I, it's very common. It's a common malady. We did want to have you back. I mean, for a lot of reasons, but we don't, I don't think we addressed really anything about the early years of your origin story on Late Night. Okay. And we'd love to talk to you about those times because I don't know how many people know that you initially were hired as a writer on the show. Yeah. And then s sort of dazzled everyone in some oh. rehearsals Whoa. and were snatched up and, and promoted to sidekick. Yeah, kind of. I think, and you know what I've never, I've never asked, but I think that me being the sidekick was Robert Smigel's idea or at least his doing or engineering in some way. Yeah. And I never have asked about that process. I've never asked him or Conan or Jeff Ross, the executive producer about that. And it's, it's, there's no, it's not that I have avoided asking it. It just has never occurred to me to ask. Mm -hmm. And when I'm around them, I'm not thinking about, you know, our salad days and oh remember and why right. am I here? Uh, <laughs> you know? I mean, what evolved is yes, I was hired as a writer. I could just go and do the whole thing right now, the story if you want. Sure. Sure. I had done improv in Chicago. I went to film school, was doing film production, started taking improv classes, started performing. At a certain point, the show, improv shows were easy to do while I was doing uh, production work because they're, you know, y if you're on an improv team with seven other people, you say, I can't make it, I'm working. Because I'd get a job, say, on a, here's dating me, a Montgomery Wards commercial, and I, <laughs> and I would be occupied for two weeks, you know, 16 hours a day. So it was, when I started to do shows at the Annoyance Theater in Chicago where they required rehearsals, I quit my source of income to do something for free, which my pa my parents were really excited about. <laughs> so I started waiting tables. I started. I worked for my uncle who had a sort of factory supply business. I built lockers and pallet racks and delivered things for him. And then and continued to do shows and just kind of got more, you know, more of my own, you know, a sense of balance and footing, you know, to to just got better basically. Uh, and then at the annoyance theater, there was a show called the real life Brady bunch that, uh, they came up with, which was just reenactments of Brady bunch episodes. Uh, very silly idea, but really funny and very, and at the time there and it was, was verbatim, right? You did yeah, the verbatim, scripts the, verbatim. Yeah. The idea was to do it as closely as possible without any kind of commentary or winking right. or anything, you know, and, and they were very talented people doing it, which, is the key. I mean, it's everything is about the execution of it. And these were I all, saw that show in New York. It was it was hilarious. Yeah, it's it and you the I I've said this before that I thought when I heard about it, you know, I was doing stuff at the theater and I heard about it and I thought this is 
the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. And then I stood in the back of the house the first night they did it, which I think was the only one of them that I wasn't involved in in some way. And I don't know that I've ever laughed harder in a in a theater at something just because it's so dumb. And it's right. like you're that kind of laughter where you're like, this is making me laugh, on, making like my DNA laugh. Like it's like <laughs> it's like working on you in a way that you don't even understand. Right. Um, and then and then and the whole theater got involved. It was it was kind of a cash cow for the theater because it was, you know, you can, a, a Brady Bunch episode on stage is like, t- you know, 25 minutes tops. Mm. So there was a audience participation game show that took place ahead of it. That was really fun. It was like getting people to do stunts and, you know, guess things. It was very silly. And I was the announcer for that. But everybody in the theater, we used to also do, we had commercial breaks during the game show and we would do little ads for local businesses that would pay us for, you know, like the liquor store across the street. And we'd come out and do some little scene about the liquor store or the Mexican restaurant up the block. And, um, wow. The only paid improv performers in history. (laughs) We were paid. Everybody would show. It was Tuesday nights and we, we ended up doing two shows and everybody would turn up because there was pizza and beer. And, and (laughs) that was really, really important. That was like one (laughs) night of the week that I get to eat free. And if I play my cards right, I might even get to steal some pizza and take it home. Right. I was going to (laughs) say slices under the jack. And I played a bunch of uh, bit parts in the Brady's, you know, like Uh Buddy Hinton, the bully. I played his dad, (laughs) the recording engineer for the silver platters episode, you know, just, and did the, you know, some of the commercial stuff. And then. The show got so popular that it ended up running in New York at the Village Gate. And uh, Ron Delsner, who's a concert promoter, a New York concert promoter, saw the show and and brought it to New York. I think just because he was bored and it was fun. And he used to <laughs> he used to take us out to fancy restaurants and fancy strip clubs. And and uh, that's when you know you've made it. Yeah. As Joey Soloway said, uh, he's the, the Jewish mafia uncle I never had. Uh, <laughs> he was really he was really something. And then from we went from that, we went to New York or LA. We were at the Westwood Playhouse, which is now the Geffen, for about eight months. Oh wow. And a bunch oh, of wow. you know, a bunch of us moved out here to do that. And when that wound down, I went back to it was kind of right before Christmas. I went back to Chicago and I was sleeping on my mom's couch, wondering what the fuck I was gonna do with myself. And then I got, and I had auditioned already for the movie Cabin Boy. Yes. I got a call back to come back. So my mom, my mom took the insurance money that she got from my uncle backing into her car with his, <laughs> with his delivery truck. And this sounds set up. Bought a, that sounds like an insurance <laughs> Straight up. That car remained dented. Uh, she, uh, we she bought me a ticket, a Southwest ticket to L.A., and I stayed uh, at my friend Thea's apartment and slept on her futon couch. And they had me come back. I was there for like a week, and they had me come back three times. And after the to reread Whoa. it again. I mean, it's you uh. know. And so I just was. Did you have to reread it with a different actor, or just literally no? Just, just do it. Other I, people I don't know, for other people seeing uh, me or whatever. Uh. And I finally had to say, um, and I, I always will remember, like the third time I did it, I went to the casting place and I used the restroom before, and the the thing that the men's room key was attached to 
was a back scratcher, you uh-huh. know, like one of those back mm-hmm. yeah. back scratchers. And some actor had had these made up and it said the actor's name and I'm itching to read for you. <laughs> oh my God. And it made me so fucking sad because I was here on my third shot have, and having to tell them I can't do this anymore. I have to go. I have to go back. You, you know, this is the last time. Yeah, I'm, my mom's insurance settlement is <laughs> yes, run exactly. up. Right. Or, you know, and my friends are getting sick of me. Uh, if you hadn't gone to the bathroom, you would have had to come back two more times. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but then I got that job, and I loaded up my Toyota pickup truck uh, with all my belongings uh, and drove out to L.A. To and Hollywood. S- yeah, and wow. started. I I moved into a furnished apartment in Westwood and I did Cabin Boy and thought, all right, here we go. And then Cabin Boy ended and I didn't, I had forgotten. Well, A, I didn't get paid much for Cabin Boy and right, rightfully so. Um, <laughs> but I, I didn't realize like, oh yeah, you do a movie and then you wait a year. Like, so right. no checks are coming in for a year. So I was right. actually applying for jobs, regular old jobs. And the day that I heard I got hired on Conan, I like minutes after I got that call, uh, I got a call to come back in to interview to be the assistant manager at a movie theater in Westwood. Oh, wow. Wow, So that was a tough choice. Yeah, yeah. I got to tell them, no, I got it. I'm doing a TV show in New York. But I was, it was so, and I knew I I was probably... It was, I, it, I, they didn't say you have the job, but they said, come back in. We'd like to talk to you. And it looks really good. And you have everything. a second interview. Yeah. yeah. And I was, and I, <laughs> oh no, I, no, you don't. You know, like sometimes when you apply for a job when, and, and you kind of just feel like, oh, I think I, I think they like me enough that they're going to give right. me the job. And I had this feeling with that, but I had this absolute fear that I was, <laughs> that I was going to be working in that movie theater and Cabin Boy was going to play in that movie oh, theater. No. <laughs> so people would be able to buy oh. popcorn from me and then <laughs> go like, sit down and see me. Hey. Yeah. yeah, so... Oh, no. I was so nervous. So I was glad that I didn't have to do that, but... That was your motivation to get a writing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The way I got the job was through Robert mm-hmm. Smigel, right. whom I had met while I was in Los Angeles um, because we had mutual friends that had worked on SNL and he came out to work on the Hans and Franz movie, which never went anywhere because Arnold Schwarzenegger did Last Action Hero and it flopped. And he decided that he couldn't make fun of himself anymore. I can't, I can't make fun of myself anymore. <laughs> oh, he was supposed to be in it? Yeah, it was going to be Arnold as like their, I don't even, ah. fairy godmother. Oh. Like he was going to be some magical <laughs> being, but uh, it, right. he was going to be you know, all over the movie. Right. Robert was out here to work on that script for the summer and he and I hung out and hit it off. And then I just got a call from him one day saying, do you want to meet this guy, Conan O'Brien? And I have, I had heard about Conan just the way everybody else did. And actually years after working with Conan realized that a matter of days before before Robert called me, I had been to a party at Bob Odenkirk's house with Conan and about 15 other people. And we just didn't notice each other or talk or anything. Oh, like, right. Yeah. We had been in like a very small yard party. Um, Not small enough. So, <laughs> so I, I mean, I, and I've always said like, if, 
if I hadn't gotten this job, we would have known each eventually known each other because there were just too many people that we knew in common. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I also I went to uh, I was I don't think I was engaged. Oh, maybe I was engaged at this time. But um, Sarah, my then fiance, was up in San Francisco doing another show with some of the people from the from the Annoyance from Brady Bunch. And I went to a taping of a Jeff Garland sitcom pilot in which he played a cop, <laughs> which, you know, what a good cop Jeff Garland would be. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, that's uh, I went to it with uh, Kate Flannery, mm-hmm. who I've known. She was sitting next to me in my first improv class in like 1989. Wow. So we've known each other that long. And I went with her to this taping. And we sat in front of Bob Odenkirk, who I knew kind of because he was engaged to somebody at that point that I had been on an improv team with. So that was I mean, I knew him as sort of like a Chicago improv person that was writing on SNL. And we had met a couple of times and he was sitting with Carol Liefer and I totally eavesdropped on their conversation about Conan and about Conan getting the job because Bob was in on the late night show from the early times. He kind of came in to get it started with his brother, Bill, who's now a Simpsons writer. So Bob was involved and I just eavesdropped, you know, I, so, so I had that information in my head and Robert said, do you want to meet this guy Conan? And I said, yeah. And he said, where? And I, you know, I picked Junior's Deli in Westwood because it was convenient for me. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> power move. And I met and I met Conan there, and I had seen that you know, like the clips of him and meeting Rogers and him getting laughs, and so oh, I, they they had already shot a pilot, yes, a, te- a test mm. show. That's how he got the job. Is that they right. and they it kind of happened like at the last minute too because he tells it that he had a like a sport coat in his trunk of his car, and they were like you. You know, you're going to do this test show. I think the same day, they gave him like the same notice the same day, which oh, was wow. after they were done shooting Leno, they said, had the audience stick around. And this guy, you know, this guy's, you know, possibly going to replace Letterman. Wow. And they got him two guests, which were Jason Alexander and Mimi Rogers. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember in the Mimi Rogers clip, she talked, she t- mentioned, he said, you're, you've been a model. And she said, yeah. And she said, it's really hard work. And he said, he said, no, it isn't hard work. He said, like <laughs> turning a big crank all day is, right, is, right. Is, is work. And you know, he acted out turning a big crank and right. it was really funny. And it was kind of, that was like the big icebreaker. Yeah. Thing. I think that moment was probably cause he was a nervous, you know, uh, For sure. Oh my I God. I look at our early shows. I mean, from like the first year and I cringe, I just, <laughs> well, it takes it's a while. Just, yeah. Learning, learning to perform on TV, like, like not being able to, practice and get used to all the red light in the cameras on a small scale, like, you know, in, in Peoria or something and just doing it on such a grand scale. Yeah. yeah. There's so much pressure. It just seems so terrifying. Yeah. You end up, you just get used to it over time. You know, you just yeah. kind of. Sure. You know, I was just, it was at like a family, a family memorial service for my aunt not too long ago. And my mom, I was not, she's like, get up here and say something about your aunt. And, oh. you know, and I was like, all right, you know, and, and I, re- and I realized like, I'm not, cause my mom was talking about her and, and she it, was, it was really, like Conan audition. she was yeah. really nervous. Yeah. But like now if it's like, Hey, get up and talk in front of people, I just can do it because I, 
I'm just immune to the nervousness of it now because it's just right. Were you nervous ever? I mean, you don't. Yeah, I've never known you to be a nervous person. Oh, absolutely. I used to get I used to get stage fright. I mean, just yeah. like the, the anxiety that would happen before. And I like when I used to do shows in Chicago, I would pee like three times. And still, when it was time to go out, I still would have to pee again. Uh. You know, just like <laughs> like I don't know what it was about that nervousness. It's like some animal thing about like you do not want extra liquid in your body, <laughs> not now, because you may have to run. I don't, It'll you know, slow I don't you know. down. It's fight or flight or whatever. Yeah. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Okay, so wait. So we were at Junior's Deli. We're at yes. Junior's Deli. Yeah. And I meet Conan. We sit down, and I'm getting a meal out of this. So I ordered. <laughs> yeah. And they, I the lobster. I, I didn't order <laughs> comedy food on purpose. I ordered what I wanted to eat, <laughs> which was a knish and borscht. Like, I didn't mean oh. it to be like a Neil Simon joke. Right. What I was ordering. But I, so but I got a condition. Funny. And I, yeah. I, and, and the borscht, you, you know, like you, when you put it, when you put the sour cream in the borscht, it turns pink into like a magenta, like a, cr just the craziest color yes. for food to be. And Conan ordered a can of Coke. <laughs> that was it. He just had a can of also Coke. Also a comedy order. And was really tickled by my order. <laughs> I, th that I had ordered this food. Yeah. And the knish, it had like a, where the dough was gathered on the top in kind of like a knob. And when they set it down at the table, I just remember going like, to him, like, it looks like a tit. <laughs> <laughs> and he really, la you know, I felt like. You're hired. Yeah, well, I just, I felt like I'm, I instantly felt comfortable enough around this man right. to say my knish looks like a tit. Yeah. Just the <laughs> dumbest fucking thing. The most obvious dumb thing. And, yet, you know, that takes a certain amount of comfort or stupidity. Right. Depend, you know, if, <laughs> when you're in a job interview to say, it looks like a tit. Right. Um, it's a big swing. It probably helped that he. you probably knew he was friends now with, like, people you were already comfortable with. Yes. You know, you, you were friends now with Robert Smigel. You probably thought, oh, it's kind of a, a shortcut to being yourself around this new guy. But also, too, there's pheromones or something that happen right. when you're mm -hmm. with funny people. Yeah, chemistry. Right. There's nothing more depressing. And it's because it still happens. And it would happen all the time on The Conan Show where a funny person that I didn't know uh, personally, but I, you know, I'd maybe know their work 
sometimes, sometimes I didn't, and but they would know me and we'd come up and it's just like, there's no, there's no preamble necessary. You just get right, right. into, hey, dumb, dumb, hey, stupid, right. or whatever, you know, just start <laughs> immediately. And it was definitely that way with Conan, where I just felt comfortable with him. And there's nothing more disappointing than meeting somebody in comedy who does not want to have fun. Yeah. Who does right. not want to let it all drop, like stop the bits. And, and I mean, you're still going to kind of do bits, but just isn't interested in having fun, isn't interested in being funny, isn't interested right. in, in, you know, talking bad about other people. That's always <laughs> one of the best things. <laughs> so we hit, we, you know, it was a really nice lunch and we had fun and we made each other laugh. And Robert told me later that Conan called him afterwards and said, hire him. And Robert said, calm oh, down. Great. Let's, you know, let's get him to write a packet first. And uh, which I had never done. So that was, that was my next instruction, write a packet. Write a submission. For a late night show. Uh -huh. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I wasn't used to writing anything down. Everything I did was improvised and, you know, just show up and fucking jerk around and, and then go home. So I wrote a packet of material, just kind of like, okay, well, what would be good? I don't even remember very much. Mm -hmm. I think Robert helped me kind of like maybe some monologue jokes, maybe some sketch ideas, maybe some desk bit kind of thing. And I don't know if I even knew the phrase desk bit at that point. But I wrote some stuff up. I, I think I wrote it longhand. And then I was up in San Francisco visiting... Sarah while she was doing her show and we went over to uh, Joey Soloway's house and I used their typewriter to type up my package, my packet. And mm -hmm. the only, the only uh, paper they had was kind of like taupe. So I was like, <laughs> I, I, was my scented. submission came in in a taupe, in taupe paper. <laughs> um, He's very confident. But I sent in the packet and I got hired. I was the first writer hired. And so I wow. I drove my truck to San Francisco and left it with Sarah, flew to New York, and, and that was it. And I stayed at a friend's apartment for the first couple of three weeks before I could find a place from, of my own. I remember when I went there, I think it was June. It was either May or June. Okay. And it was... 100 degrees at midnight. Mm. And I was in a sixth floor walk up, uh, sleeping on a loft bed, like just in case no. it was a little cooler by the floor. I wanted to be by the ceiling. <laughs> um, I showed up at Rockefeller Center. And at that time, Conan had a corner office. Uh, his assistant was there. Robert had an office. Uh, I don't even know if Robert had a writer's coordinator yet. Right. There was maybe Paula Davis and talent, Jeff Ross and his assistant, uh, Steve Hollander was there. Um, he went on to be the stage manager. Yeah, he went on to be the stage manager. So there was only about like eight or nine people even working on the show wow. when I got there. Wow. And that was around June, May or June? June, yeah, May or June. I don't remember exactly. We premiered in September so that we had right. the summer to sort of get the kinks worked out. But the right. first step was to get people hired so the first thing that i did was sit down with a packet uh, with a, a stack of writers packets approximately i mean like almost two feet high wow yeah that on that i sat on a chair next to my desk and i went through which is the first time i've ever done that had to, you know like yeah hey you got a job now judge other people who are coming right. to get the job 
That had to feel weird. It did feel weird. weird. It did feel weird, but I felt like, well, you know, I got a good sense of humor. I, you know, and I, Mm -hmm. I knew what Robert's sense of humor was like. I knew what Conan's Mm -hmm. sense of humor was like. I knew what mine was. Mm -hmm. So I was like, not going to hire some hack. I was going to look for, I mean, dare I say artists, you know, people with a unique point of view and something. Someone and someone who surprises you. Yes, exactly. Someone Mm -hmm. who isn't. Like, well, I want this job, so I better do things that are like things that I've seen work elsewhere. Right. Well, that that's the other interesting thing. A lot of times people are already submitting for a, a show that already exists, so they ape what they see on the TV, whereas you were all... It's all new. Everyone there was all brand, all brand new. Yeah. There's no guidelines. I think some people sent in spec scripts... Uh-huh. For sitcoms, in addition to to right, but just sure. kind of, the, I got this spec script for I don't even remember Wings or whatever the <laughs> fuck was popular right, at that right, time. Right. Yeah, right. And I had noticed Robert. Yeah, I'd sat across the desk from Robert while he was looking at at uh, submissions, and I noticed that he read every word of every submission, which felt excessive to me because yeah. some of them uh-huh. you get half a page in and you realize like, oh fuck this guy, <laughs> I took that as kind of a a, a, a a twain mark and said, okay, I'm going to do that too. And I sat and I read every single word of that stack of two feet of, of submissions. And there was one person out of it that got there. And that was Marsh McCall, huh. who was one of the first writers on the show who ended wow. up being my office mate. Uh-huh. And then when Robert Smigel left, this I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Right. When Robert Smigel left, the head writer job, they they had gone out to Louis C.K. to do it, but Louis and Louis was going to do it, and then like freaked at the last minute, was like, "No, I I just because he had just moved on from the Conan show, and he's like, I don't want to go back, you know." So he he turned it down. So they were like in a pinch. So Marsh ended up being the head writer because that it was a pattern that continued he, like through you too, Mike. That they didn't. For the head writer job, they would always get someone from within. I also was the third choice. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, you had you worked there as a regular old writer, right? And Jonathan Groff had, you know, after Marsh became the head writer, and then when Jonathan left, you quite ably took up the post oh. for too long, actually. Way too far, long. Too way long. too long. <laughs> Severe physical and mental damage. But so I was there, and we started just. You know, we slowly built a staff and hired people, mm-hmm. and and they were largely Chicago, Boston. Yeah, uh, they were kind of different factions. And then even as sort of the second wave of writers started getting hired, more Chicago people would come on, like Brian Stack and Brian McCann and Tommy Blatcha. Right. Yeah, and some of those guys you had done improv with, right? So you yes, had some context for that. Yes, yes. Dino Stamatopoulos was one of the first writers and I right. had I had known Dino. We hadn't worked together, but we knew a bunch of people in common. And Dino Dino was a mm, less of an improv person and more of a sketch comedy person that would write his own shows and plays and stuff. And he but he had already worked on the Ben Stiller show. He had gone out uh to LA and worked on the Ben Stiller show. So he was So he got it. He was well, he was the most experienced TV writer, I think yeah. we got. Yeah. So right. it just, and then we just started figuring it out. And Conan and I just had a rapport from the beginning. It was, uh, and there was, there was always this notion 
Because everybody looked down their nose at topical humor. And we all thought, nah, fuck that. Who wants to do jokes about the latest headlines? Boring. We'd, right. ra- we'd rather be in our own little absurd little bubble of, y- you know, nonsense. And we had some notion that we were going to do a talk show that was as much a sketch comedy show as a talk show. Had this, you know, we'd talk about it like, yeah. And because and, uh, a lot of the writers that were hired had real performing chops. And in in some cases, like mine, I was much more of a performer than I was a writer. And I, I today still think sort of that way. So we thought, okay, we'll have this kind of cast of characters, this, you know, like this repertory of, of goofballs, and we'll do lots of sketches. And of course, within a week, we're like, oh my God, I hope... <laughs> Fucking Britney Spears does something, ah. so we have something to write about. <laughs> it's a nightly show. We yeah. learned very, very quickly that, oh, no, <laughs> Jesus Christ, this is a monster that demands to be fed. Yeah. Did did that terror not turn up? Did it turn up, like, during test shows or literally once the show was officially on the Pretty air? Pretty much once like... it was up and running, I think. We had, right. we had loaded up with a lot of stuff. We pre-taped right. a lot of stuff. Uh-huh. Prepped a lot of... A lot of desk bits and stuff but no that 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 just the how, how the hell we do this that took a you know when that that hit us it was it was very it, it hit us like a ton of bricks i think and i mean conan and robert had some idea but from working on snl sure um but also you guys sketched up like you'd put sketches during real interviews we which would was, inter- interrupt interviews for comedy yeah bands. And, you know, we, if there was a two act interview coming back for the second segment act of, of a, you know, of like a, you know, a John Goodman, you know, Perry Gilpin interview, uh, we would come <laughs> back and we would have a bit at the top of the act. And right. that was, mm-hmm. we did so much comedy. And I remember when Letterman came on kind of a year and a half or so into it, right. he came on as a guest and he sort of gave us his papal blessing. And one of the things he said was he that he and he said it on air was and he said it off air. He just could not believe the volume of comedy that we were putting into every show. Yeah, it was just because I think we didn't know any better. And and I also think uh, I want to give Robert some credit because it looking back on it, it feels like he was building this sort of defensive wall of comedy right around me and conan to let us get some time to figure out how to be on tv mm. and as you know and as the show went on it became less and less written and more and more just about us being comfortable and fucking around but we did not have that choice early on we didn't yeah. know what we were doing and we were not comfortable and it was evident when you watched the show but we did have I mean, five bits a show sometimes, you know, just like yeah. tons yeah. of comedy to, to, to hide behind and, <laughs> and get and get better at. Yeah. And also, like you're saying, that's having all that comedy were the, that's a great way for you two to get comfortable just knowing, OK, all this written stuff's coming up. Yeah, that's going to help read the cards. Yes. That'll help yeah. us get through this hour, you know, as we find our way. Yeah, I don't. And I like you say, I don't know the thought behind it. Right, I don't know. Right. Because we were so, so much of what we were doing was in reaction to what had been done before on late night. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, one of the reasons that we wore suit and tie and had a big band was because it was sort of a throwback. I mean, Conan's kind of 
an anachronism anyway. I mean, you know, right. I mean, he, right. he knows how to fucking tap dance and shit like right. that. <laughs> so yeah, he embraces old time show. Yeah. He liked the idea of kind of a there, like a sophisticated late sixties kind of playboy after right. dark feel. Mm-hmm. Right. If it was run by, right. by dum dums. Um, <laughs> but, but you're saying a, I, also a giant thing that a lot of this and a lot of shoring up with a lot of sketch comedy and everything was a, Big reaction to what you were replacing, which yes, the Letterman Show, which was yes, looms so large in everyone's mind. Mm-hmm. The Letterman Show, he was the ringmaster of a weird circus of like you know Chris yes. Elliott coming up from under the stairs and right. Larry Bud Melman, but that show really did sort of hang on his personality, on his sort of dry, quiet, right, slow sometimes wit. So this, we felt like, oh, no, this show is going to be different. It's going to have more people on it. It's, it's going to be different. And um, right. having a sidekick might have been part of that. Conan liked that old show feel with yeah. the big yeah, yeah. band and, and, and dressing up in a kind of a Playboy After Darkish feel. Well, that was, that, that was just it. And, I, because I, and the reason that I said that was because I think that there had not been a sidekick yeah. in, in a long time. There hadn't right. been an Ed McMahon. Uh, right. and many other shows, which had been sort of a, a staple of mm-hmm. the genre. And, it, you know, and at the time, a lot of fucking <laughs> brouhaha was made over it. And I had to, you know, you're the new Ed McMahon kind of stuff. Right. Which was fine. But, you know, I mean, nobody goes into comedy wanting to be Ed McMahon. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, nothing against Ed McMahon, but it's just like he. Well, he embraced more being kind of a straight man. Yeah. Sarah Ball wrote a really nice piece about me when I was leaving the Conan show the first time. And she opened it by saying the first line of Ed McMahon's autobiography is I met a young man named Johnny Carson in 1951. <laughs> like hit the first line of wow. his autobiography right. is about when he met Johnny Carson. Yeah. Right. So, it was a, you know, and I knew it was a supporting position, I, which I didn't have any problem with. I, I was happy to do that because I'm not, I'm not that kind of performer. I'm not even back in Chicago when I'd be on stage with people that really needed it, and there's a lot of people that really need it. I'd stay by the back and be like, "Go get it, honey. I'll, I'll be here to, to right. probably top you." Well, and that is what you were so great at. I mean, you didn't have to do a lot of the sort of housework of the show of like the you know intros and having to promote people's no uh cw shows and stuff but you got to just jump in with a punchline yes i got to be funny whenever and i've said this before when people would compliment say like my comedy batting average you know i would say well yeah but i only swing at pitches that i want to (laughs) you know if like nothing's happened i'm gonna sit there and be quiet and let conan squirm you know i I, if i and and that isn't to say you know there's there's plenty of time probably my best zingers were left unsaid because the moment passes and you just have to know you know it's right because all you have to do is sort of once backtrack and then try and get that joke in and the timing's uh, gone and then it just lies flat and you feel like an idiot for yeah. derailing the show. Yeah. But the the psychic thing developed because Conan and I had a rapport around the office. Mm-hmm. Um, he used to, like, for instance, you know, nobody, nobody knew Conan and Conan is, is very unique personality. He's very fun and very accessible, but he also is like having 
a uh, an Irish setter around. You know, it's yes. like just constant <laughs> movement, constant pestering. Yep. A lot of petting. Yes, a lot of a lot of. Look. <laughs> and one of the things he would do was he would just come in. He'd walk around playing guitar, which he still does, and he would walk into your office and then stand right next to you and then start playing a song to you, like singing right at you, which is fucking odd, <laughs> especially right. like out of an Italian restaurant, you know, like with strolling violin players. It's fucking <laughs> odd to have where you're trying to do this thing and they come up and everybody and people would whisper like, oh my God, it's so weird when he comes up and just sings at you. What do you do? What do you do? And so I started, when he would do it, I would get up out of my chair and go, whoa, yeah. Do it! <laughs> just like clap and dance around. And um Is this what you want? <laughs> yes, exactly. Happy now. <laughs> you interrupt me here. Take this. Uh would he double down or would he Yeah, he'd play along too, but yeah. you know, but it also I think he stopped coming up and playing at me. Because <laughs> he could probably <laughs> sense the aggression in it. <laughs> uh, he did that to me when I first worked there. I was it's bizarre, isn't in the it? hallway. And we were alone, and he just started singing to me. And I, I truly <laughs> had the exact same reaction, looking around for. And there, yeah. I remember there was no one else by the elevators. And I, was, you're just like, you're praying what for do the I doors. Do? I mean, I was. It was my second day there, so I didn't know what to make of it. Yes, yes. Non consensual serenade. Right. So we we had kind of a. a, a an act, you know. I mean, yeah. it wasn't like a set act, but mm-hmm. I definitely was his foil in a lot of bits around the office, which were constant. Right. Yeah. That I mean, that's that's a that's like one of the one of the real absolute gifts from heaven about doing this kind of work is bits all fucking day, <laughs> all day. <laughs> but I uh, when when he started doing test shows. Conan started, you know, it was probably a month and a half before. And the first one was just, they'd say a lighting and makeup test. Mm -hmm. And he went down to the SNL stage and it was, they did it on the Bob Costas had a late night talk show called Later. Later. And it was just Mm -hmm. two big overstuffed chairs on a little, uh, a little set in the middle of 8H on the SNL stage. So he did something, you know, he did something there, just basically sat and talked. And I remember being in my office and it was the, it was that day and I had the feed on in, in my office. And Robert came in and said, hey, will you do me a favor? Will you just go down and sit, sit next to him and keep him company? I said, sure. So I went down and then he and I just, you know, did what we do. We fucked around and talked mm-hmm. while they did camera angles and figured out what to do with that face. Um, <laughs> what kind of makeup would make Ooh. it visible? Um, right, right, right. And then they do, he'd interview somebody. Like I remember he interviewed Steve Hollander, who ended up our stage manager. Mm-hmm. Um, he interviewed Steve Hollander and throughout, I don't know, maybe four or five of those. Every time Robert's like, go sit with him again, go keep him company. Just, mm-hmm. um, I didn't see any ulterior motive behind it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really, no. cause I really did think like, yeah, somebody needs to keep him company. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. And so it's weird I that they're that. lighting me now, but yeah, yeah. I guess I'll just go with it. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was a point at which Robert came to me and said, Hey, we're thinking of having a sidekick. 
on the show. And so you would be there with Conan and sit next to him. And I don't know if you'll be the announcer or not, you know, but we, you definitely would be on the show and you'd sit there with the guests and, you know, you'd basically do what Ed McMahon does. And right. would you want to do that? And for a minute, because we still had this notion that the show was going to be some kind, like there would be some repertory company and there'd be all kinds right. of opportunities to do sketch work and character yeah. work. And, and I thought, I said, well, I don't know, maybe I'd rather just be like one of the cast of characters and, and right. be able to perform on the show that way. And I said, and I, and I should talk it over with, with Sarah. At, and he said, okay, well, let me know. And he stepped out of my office and like a second before I even picked up the phone to call Sarah, I was like, who am I fucking kidding? Right, right. Do I want to be on TV every night? Yeah, yeah. all right, I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> Guaranteed, sure, why not? You know. So I I don't even know. I think I might have called her and just went right back into his office and said, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And I don't know. She's cool with it. I, yeah. Robert's I mean, Robert's motivation for it, I I like I say, I don't know. And there's part of me that kind of doesn't want to know. Mm. I that's a wild story. I mean, it seems so organic that it yeah. happened. Yes, as as a lot of things do on TV shows and comedy, like thing, they're happy act. Not an accident, but it's just like Robert knew you guys were great together, and why not go down there and kind of loosen things up for the, and then like keep doing it. And I'm sure he and Co I'm sure Conan, because he's such a creature of habit, was like, oh my god, I just love being out there with him you know I, yeah. i'm sure they probably just both said it just seemed like a natural next step part of it is natural a natural human reaction like right because i remember early on there being people that you know you get a new show and the when you're new and the show you're doing is new you get a lot of envy thrown your way you get a lot of like Oh, so you just got the, you already had the job and then they just, they didn't right. even go out and try anyone else as the sidekick, right. you know, that kind of thing. Right. Which I, my feeling is if I'm going to open up a hot dog stand and I need people to work there, why wouldn't I hire my friends? Hire I from gotta, within. I got to be in that fucking hot yeah. dog stand yeah. 15 yes. hours a day. I'm right. going to do it with people that I like and people that I right. enjoy. Their hot dog skills are secondary, you know? They'll and, grow. Yeah, they'll figure <laughs> out the hot dog business. And and so it, it was very much that way. It also is good producing. If you're going to do a show like this, right. don't go out and have a casting call to, yeah. to, right. to find someone with whom the main goal is rapport. Right. And chemistry. Yeah, yeah. and chemistry. You don't go out and, you know, s scour the streets for strangers. You do with, with somebody that you know is funny and that right. you like and that you connect with. So yeah. it made good sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Putting together a show like that, its success is predicated on its vibe. Mm -hmm. It's predicated on its authenticity. It's predicated on the reality of the people. And there are other talk shows where the people never are real and mm -hmm. you can see right. it and it isn't the same. Yeah. Um, I, some people like it. Me personally, I just think if I'm looking at somebody and I don't feel like I know who they are I, in that context, right? I don't, then forget it. I don't, you know, it's, it turns me off. It seems like jive Hollywood bullshit. Right. Yeah. From what you're saying, it was a very rare situation where the people you the creative people on the show 
got to make it the way they wanted it to be out of the gate without yeah. people from the network stepping in and going, oh, no, don't do that, or we don't want like No, it. we got to hire someone's right. son or daughter. Yeah. Up to a point, because there was... There I'm was sure a, once it started, yeah. then all of a sudden... I mean, started. I didn't just get to go sit there. You know, it, I had right. to go through a process. And the pr- part of the process, which I was so naive to all this stuff. I didn't... Right. Well, the first one was we did test shows. We did... I don't know, maybe six or seven test shows over two weeks before our actual premiere date. Full on shows, right? Um, with guests like Mickey Rooney, and um, <laughs> and and I was and I was the sidekick in those. And right before we were going to do one of those test shows, and we'd already done yeah. a couple. Uh, Jeff Ross came up to me and Conan, and I was wearing the one or uh, I think I had two sport coats that they had bought me. <laughs> and and like I wore my own pants, and I was so I'm wearing <laughs> that, and then just some tie from stock, and right. and Jeff came up and said, "Keep your clothes on after the show because we usually got nude right after the show, right, folks." Of course. <laughs> but um, he said, "Keep your your show clothes on because you're going to go out to dinner with Lauren." Oh, because Lauren was the executive producer of the show because at that time. Uh, his sort of relationship with NBC always had its peaks and valleys. And at that time it was at a peak and they entrusted him to find Letterman's replacement. Mm -hmm. I I don't know how much Conan was his, his idea or whether Conan just said, Hey, Lauren, let me do it. Let me do it. Let me do it. Right. Um, and then Lauren went, all right, I pick Conan. Um, (laughs) I was going to have to go out to dinner with Lauren. And I said, okay. So we got into Lauren's limousine and it drove us to a restaurant called Beche on the Upper East Side. And we walked in. So we're here with dinner with Lorne Michaels. And they led us to a table where Lorne Michaels and Steve Martin were sitting. Oh, wow. And so it was the four of us having a dinner. And I probably said seven words. Yeah. Uh, but I was just like, you know, like trying not to stare at Steve Martin. Right. <laughs> because I was all so new. You know, now I wouldn't get Steve Martin's fucking, you know. Oh, whatever chop right. liver uh but <laughs> some, some show on hulu I mean, who cares but so it was just very it was very that was like the first step and then i think after the next test show i just i don't know remember but i remember jeff coming up to me after a show and saying well you got the job and i was and huh? i said i said oh. i thought i already had the job yeah. right, goes, right. Oh, no, no. no 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 you got the job so oh, i guess wow. somebody Those somewhere some said funny seven right. words said okay you know <laughs> yeah oh i don't i don't know if it was predicated on i think lauren would have let conan do whatever he wants okay. I, you know right. but but i think yeah. that there was definitely network people that had to sign off on it oh. uh, so i guess i was <sighs> funny enough for them it's better not to know I it's know. much better that way oh not. yeah yeah i don't and I, but I mean, there was lots that we didn't know, and a lot right. of that was because of Conan and Jeff protecting us all. I mean, we didn't know right. that we were. There was a weekend where we were canceled. Right. Where on Friday they said the show is over. Oh my god! And then I don't know whether it was that day, but Greg Kinnear was who they really wanted to do it, and I think they shot <gasps> a couple of test shows with Greg Kinnear out here in L.A. Oh, they actually shot test shows. Oh, what? <gasps> yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Was this? When he was doing talk soup? Yes. I think so, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was the height of talk soup. Yeah. Wow. He was hot off of that. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and I mean, and he has just, he just fits the part better. 
you know, if you were casting a movie and you needed a late night talk show host, a conventional, yeah. conventional mm, sense exactly. of what, yes, they said to Conan over the weekend, like, all right, you, you're going to have the you job have another oh. week. <laughs> and they would, cause they were doing, we're not going to be able to find someone for another week. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was <laughs> just give, 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 give us a week or two. <laughs> it, it, you know, it was all 13 week chunks. Like as a writer, yeah. you were hired in 13 week chunks right. and, and the same thing with the show. And at one point it was week to week, apparently. Oh. Which no one else knew. Ugh. No one else knew. Just Conan and Jeff were kind of aware of that. That it's is devastating. I would tell everyone. It's like I know. I what know. What are you looking so relaxed for? It's week to week. Well, and also too, it's so. It's just. It's such good people skills. Yes. I want. I want this show to be funny, so I'm going to make them terrified. Yeah. Everyone's always funniest with a gun to their head. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Every like. I think it was Victor Fresco who was the. You know, co- uh, was the creator of Andy Richter Controls the Universe, who said, like, mm. you know, they they push you off on an ice floe and then start firing cannons at you. You know, like, <laughs> like it's not just it's not just enough that you're floating out to yeah. right. for yourself. Like, right. you know, what? we're also gonna make it hard. Yeah. <laughs> right. We're gonna try and blow you up. Incoming. Yeah. You know, the rest is uh, history. Uh, you know, we both <laughs> became uh, beloved icons of uh, fuckery. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yeah. And that brings us to today. Yeah. Oh, no, man. Yeah. You have a great memory about all that time. Yeah. I remember, my, I mean, my portions of it pretty well, but I don't, right. you know, there's there's other parts. But it was, you know, I mean, no, no surprise. It was an amazing thing to be a part of, uh, which I think I'm only kind of beginning to, not that I'm only beginning to appreciate it, but I'm only being, like, having the ability to appreciate it, to kind of, like, have it, because when it happens to you, it's not... You know, it's like when the when the Tonight Show went away, and thinking. I remember thinking around the office, like, this is like broadcast history here. Like we're yeah. we're living in broadcast history, and how fucking weird is that? And then yeah, there's like fucking books about it and shit, and mm-hmm. you know, at the library, right. yeah, <laughs> at the library, <laughs> they're not checked out. You can get them; they're there, but. Uh, <laughs> um, Andy, early on, were you reading press reviews at all? I mean, I know Conan has sort of always had a a rule against reading press. Yeah, were you reading things about the show, and did that make you nervous? Yeah, I did. I did read things about the show because, I mean, I don't know if there was a, that great a thought process, but I mean, in looking back on it, I think I probably my instinct was I got to get used to this. Yeah, right. you know, I got to get used to the tough skin, the good and the bad. Yeah, yeah. And so I would read things, and there was like a lot of mean shit. I mean, there was like uh. I. As I and I said back then, I said I never knew there were so many ways to call me fat. Oh uh, God! Because it was yeah, it was chubby, oh, rotund. Oh, it's just cherubic, all kinds uh, of uh, emasculating <laughs> fucking things. Like because you need to say that. Like it's important right. to the reader to know, uh-huh. you know, that I got to <laughs> drop a few pounds. <laughs> but I also too, and I th- I I said this at the time, like I, you know, there'd be it could say something, you know, absolutely, you know, call me fat or say like, you know, this, this, this waste of space. I mean, li- literally kind of that, that mean. And that, there was part of me that would be like, ouch. And then there's another part of me that's like, I'm in the paper. <laughs> right. You know? sure. like, Yay! I'm in the paper, mom. I know they're calling me a tub of lard, but yeah, it's great. There was actually one guy, there was an AP writer who said his only comment in his horrible 
review of the show when it first started was, and then there's Andy Richter, his sidekick, who seems like if it weren't for nice guy O'Brien, he wouldn't have a job, much less friends. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. And I remembered that fucker's name. That sounds personal. And yeah. he came back, he came back two or three years later <gasps> for yeah. a puff piece. Uh-huh. And he sat uh-huh. down in my office <gasps> and oh, I wow. said, Yeah, before we start, I'd like to snap, snap the paper. I said, <laughs> I'd like oh, to remind wow. you of something you wrote about the show. And it was the oh, it was the best. He was like, oh, wow. uh, uh, bah, bah, uh, like literal fumfering. Like my editor. Bah, yeah. Bah, bah. No, what his excuse was, I had tried to get in to uh to see a taping of the show. But I wasn't allowed. So mm. the the review <gasps> reflected that frustration. Oh wow! What? That's, so he hadn't that's even. So oh lame. my god! I was just like, oh, that's good. You're really, you, you know, that's quite some integrity you have there, reviewer. Yeah. I mean, whatever you said was irrelevant. You got to burn him like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And were you like, and I have friends. Yeah, I have a <laughs> lot of friends. Most of them right? work with I, me. Uh, right, right. They're all paid to be around me, but still. <laughs> right. <laughs> but Andy, this has been awesome. Thank you thank so you. much. Great. You've had a lot of great memories to share with us. Oh, yes. thank you. Um, but Andy, I if you have a favorite memory of, y- you know, either on or off screen from working on Late Night mm. that you wouldn't mind sharing with us. Well, here's, this is just, I mean, you know, my memories aren't like, oh my God, you know, Bruce Springsteen played on the show and Bill Murray was there to stand and watch it. That kind of, cause that, right. that yeah, did yeah. happen. But I mean, and that's kind of neat, but you know, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but like there was my, my dressing room at first was just in the hallway, the regular hallway and all the guest dressing rooms. It was, and it was a very busy hallway where the, the local news was running by, you know, and, and, and just people getting from one end of the building to the other. And then you'd, you know, you'd walk by an open door, people could walk by an open door and then they're, you know, like see, Oh, there's Michael Caine sitting in a folding chair in a little room. Um, (laughs) And my dressing room was originally one of those, this little tiny little dressing room. It was basically a short couch that, uh, you know, my legs hung over when I, when I napped and, (laughs) and a, and a little sink and a counter and a, you know, and a, and a little, you know, like a coat rack to hang things up. And by the way, I never peed in that sink. Never. Why would you bring that up? Yeah. No one would ever (laughs) accuse you of that. I didn't pee in that sink a lot. Um, uh, So your favorite memory is peeing in the sink. sink. No, but then, and the green room was in what was called the airlock. Because from that from that hallway, there were double doors, and they opened up into just like a little, probably ten foot by fifteen foot chamber, and one door, and that with three with uh, two doors at the end that went right into the studio, and then the makeup room on the on the left, Conan's dressing room on the left, and then what had been our green room on the right, and they gave me the green room as a, a dressing room when they they moved me around and they changed the green room to somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And so I was in that airlock waiting for the show to start. The band is starting. Conan's backstage. And Shelly Winters was on the show. And that was the great part about the, er for me at least, in the early days, we weren't getting top guests. So we were getting like Shelly Winters and Mickey A lesser Shelly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and it's like, (laughs) 
you know, we'd either get them before they were famous or kind of on the way, on the, on the right. way <laughs> down, on the downhill, backhill slope of, of famous. So I'm just standing there waiting for the, the warm-up music to start or stop and me to go in and take my mark. And it's just me and Shelly Winters comes out of makeup and she's talking to me and she has a, one of our hairbrushes. And <laughs> while she's talking to me, she puts her hand up the back of her blouse and pulls her bra strap out and is scratching her back with our <laughs> hairbrush underneath her bra. Oh. Like and talking to me. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. And then Rip Taylor pokes his head <laughs> into the airlock and said, I heard you were here. And I don't know, I, Rip was maybe doing a pre-tape for us. I don't even know. I don't, he wasn't I don't on know. the show. But, uh, <laughs> but she turned and she went, Rippy, Rippy. <laughs> and, and like went up and hugged him. And she said, I'm so nervous. Tell me a joke, Rippy. I need a joke for out there. And that's all I remember. <laughs> just, but just the combination of <laughs> Shelly Winters scratching her back <laughs> underneath her bra with our hairbrush. It's showbiz. You know? Uh. <laughs> like that was always the kind of stuff that like I just delighted in. Uh, well, Andy, thank you so much. This sure. has been great. And our listeners can find Andy on the three questions with Andy Richter. Yes. Which is also a Team Coco That's right. property. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Andy. All right. Hope to see you soon. You will. Thank you, Andy. That was fun. That was great. And hey, we have a listener email. We do. And question. This one comes all the way from England. Ooh. Or the Great Britain, I suppose. That's exciting that we've made it that far. Yes. Across the pond. (laughs) I didn't know the signal went that far. I know. (laughs) Very impressive. It says, hey guys, love the podcast. So glad you came back with new episodes. I added that in. Yes. No, that it actually says that. Uh, I'm a very anxious person who often falls down at the first hurdle. I was just wondering if either of you have had any experiences with anxiety during your time at the show and how you handled it. Have a great day. John B. Thank you, John B. Yeah. From Southampton. Well, that's a lovely email. That was a lovely email. Anxiety. Well. At the show. How did you know? <laughs> how did he pick up on that? They, <laughs> they sound anxious when they do listener questions. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if it extended to the show. <laughs> um, yes, John. I did experience anxiety on the show. <laughs> I experience it every waking moment, John. Mm -hmm. John, if you're just trying to relate to us with your feeling anxious, you've succeeded. It doesn't even go away. I mean, I thought that when we stopped doing daily shows that it might go away. Right. And I still sometimes wake up in the middle of the night like... Uh, Oh, do you have those awful work dreams? Yeah, I mean, I do. I've always had work dreams. But they're they're more mundane. They're just like... I just kind of clock in and then have to write something uh, uh, <laughs> and I spend the whole dream just writing. Uh, wow. I know. Do you remember what you write in the dream? <laughs> um, no, but I, oh, I do have a funny, it's a very on the nose anxiety dream yes. that I had one time Yes. on the show, which was, yes. I dreamed that I was pregnant, mm-hmm. but like pretty far along and basically about to give birth. And I did, I went into labor and I gave birth and the doctor held up what looked, the baby was extreme. It was limp and two dimensional basically. And when he held it up, 
it was actually a stack of papers. Oh my God. It was a script. Oh my God. <laughs> even, and even in the dream, I would kind of rolled my eyes at myself like, oh my God. Could you be a little more <laughs> Wow. <creative>? That's... <laughs> so on the nose. Was there still a placenta? Was that like... <laughs> all the, the notes on the was script. was like an ink stain. Right. Yeah. Right. The red pen. And they still had to wash it off and all the ink ran. <laughs> my script! My script! They were notes from you, Sweeney. Oh, man. Not, <laughs> you can leave me out of this story. Um, uh, yeah, you were the head writer for 14 years. 15. 15 Don't years, excuse me. me one moment of... <laughs> yes, it was... Uh, which is a, the record of yeah. being a head writer anywhere, I think. It's like setting a record in, of being incarcerated. <laughs> now, uh, yeah, no, I, it was a long time. Yeah, and there was lots of anxiety. Um, I think when you're anxious, you forget that everyone else around you is also anxious. Because anxiety means kind of like you're in your own head. So you're mm-hmm. you're kind of just thinking about yourself, don't you think, a bit? Yeah, and then it's it's helpful to talk to other people. and Right. And be reminded that every no one's actually thinking about you because they're all just worrying about themselves. Right. Too. That's that's what I was thinking about saying to John is just every you forget, and it always would reassure me that, like you're saying, when you talk to everyone else, you do realize, oh, okay, we're kind of all in the same boat. This is normal, and actually, only sociopaths don't feel anxious. Yes, and those are the people you have to be worried about. Right, they're robots. And yeah. if you want to be jealous of a robot, sure, go ahead. <laughs> but, you know, can they ever love or feel pain? <laughs> no. Well, I was wondering, did you often come home and talk about work with your wife during stressful days? Or was that off limits? That did you have a rules? became off limits because mm-hmm. it's one of those things like you tell the story to your wife, like, well, you know, and th- and then he said this to me, and yeah, you know, she'd be like, yeah, okay, you know. And even as it's coming out, would you sort of realize, like, uh, this actually wasn't that big a deal? No, it was always a big deal to me. <laughs> and and then if you don't get, that's a problem. She'd be like, well, you know, you just, I'm sure they're they were has nothing to do with you, and then but and you're like, no, yeah, I just want you to. Be Take on my, my side. side for all yeah, of this. Yeah, exactly. So after a while, I, you know, I, I had to just save it all for the therapist. <laughs> I needed to have someone I was paying to gripe to. Well, yeah, that's another good piece of advice is pay someone to talk to about right. it. And then you don't have to feel bad telling your friends oh, yes. and family. How about you? Would you come home and complain to your boyfriend? Um, No, it just, I don't know. I, I usually would... Like, I did often cry in my car on the way home. Is that true? Yes. Oh. But I would look around and I'd be like, I think half these people are crying in their cars. Yeah. In LA and rush hour, please. Oh, you'd cry on the way home? I would. Not a lot. Did I ever make you cry? No, You can tell me the truth. No. I mean, it wasn't, it was never like someone made me cry. It was just my own feeling like I hadn't succeeded and just doubting myself. Oh my gosh. But then by the time I'd get home, I'd feel better. Right. 
Well, every I wish I could cry more often because everyone <laughs> everyone feels gr- great after a good cry. Yeah, crying crying is the best. Crying in the bath. Yeah, forget about it. You know what? My sisters made fun of me once when I cried, and I think I stopped oh, crying no. after that. Because oh no, yeah, because I I'd be like oh, oh, oh. it's kind of like a, a dying dolphin or something, and they. <laughs> They made fun of me, and you know what? I, they said you were crying wrong. Yes, and I don't think I've oh. cried since. It's oh, awful. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, you're due for it. This is like the the big one, the L.A. earthquake that's going to level everything. I wish I could cry in this podcast. I really do, but <laughs> that would be so cathartic. We'll get you there. That'll be my goal. Early on, when I was first doing the head writer job, after like a show or something didn't go well, I would just take the elevator down and walk around the block. Yeah. And I, then I was like, fuck, I have to go right back into that building. Like you couldn't, mm-hmm. I wanted to go home, but it, there was like all yeah. this work that had to be done. And it's just, Ugh. you had to try to shake it off. You just have to bury it. Yeah. yeah. Boo hoo. I did like, you You could always tell if a writer had a bad rehearsal. Right. Their bit didn't get laughs. You could always tell because you'd come back upstairs and their door would be shut. <laughs> that's true. Oh, that's true. <laughs> and it just was sort of an unspoken, like, let, let, let that person have a moment. Yes. Just leave them be. Every writer on the show experienced that, where mm-hmm. something got cut or it just didn't get a single laugh during rehearsal. And you've got Conan and Andy and the whole crew and interns and writers sitting in the audience and no one's yes. laughing and it's just staring at you so excruciating that everyone knows you did it yeah you made it and and a lot of there was a budget there was yeah. a but a lot of times it's like you spent a few days shooting and editing it and mm-hmm. uh, so you know it's not like making an ad lib joke in a room and it and because that's right. painful enough when that doesn't get a laugh mm-hmm. that's awful but the, oh boy, oh boy. No, this is like, yeah, you spend days oh. baking the cake. <laughs> the only the only normal response is to shut the door to your office and not come out for a while. Yes. I would get frustrated and throw things around if like um production stuff went awry and but I did that once or twice, but then it's just I learned it all gets done and there's no You really gotta try crying so uh. I'm telling you, it's great. Yeah, man. You're going to love it. <laughs> My goddamn sisters. I know. They did this to me. Uh, well, John, <laughs> John, I hope you're sorry you asked. But hey, if anyone else has questions, we'd love to answer them. Yes. You can leave us a voicemail with your question or comments at 323 209 5303 or email us at pod at gmail.com. Yeah, and if you like the show, you can support us by rating Inside Conan colon an important Hollywood podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. And you know what? You can even ask us a question there because we're reading them, which is not helping with the anxiety. No, it's not. And um, go buy Hustler next month. Yeah, go buy Hustler and go to uh, the Team Coco site has holiday merch which is available now. If you buy now, it can still get there in time for the holidays. Right. No supply chain. No supply. Our stuff nope. sailed right through. Fully stocked. Yeah. A lot of other 
toys and medicine and a lot of other things coming were were shuttled out of the way <laughs> to make room for all the inside Conan merch. That's how important it is. Yeah. So hopefully you can use it in place of insulin. Yes. Um, we, that's so, one of its strong selling points. <laughs> so go to podswag.com slash Team Coco. And you can even get an Inside Conan drinkware bundle. All right. Well, Jesse, thank you. Yes. I, I, thank you, sweetie. I, I don't know how I'm ever going to cry if I get to talk to you once a week because you always put me in a good mood. Oh, that's so sweet. That's no, true. You're a delight. <laughs> well, you know what, sweetie? I like you. And I'm not just saying that because I say that every time. Right. I mean, I specifically like you. Yeah, no, everyone knows. Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast, is hosted by Mike Sweeney and me, Jesse Gaskell. Produced by Sean Doherty. Our production coordinator is Lisa Byrne. Executive produced by Joanna Solotaroff, Adam Sachs, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco. Engineered and mixed by Will Beckton. Our talent bookers are Gina Batista and Paula Davis. Thanks to Jimmy Vivino for our theme music and interstitials. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And of course, please subscribe and tell a friend to listen to Inside Conan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whatever platform you like best. It's the Conan Show. Put on your hat. It's the Conan Show. Try on some spats. You're gonna have a laugh. Give birth to a calf. It's Conan. This has been a Team Coco production. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.